but yeah. No. Uh, so you are uh, one of a twin. That's right. Yeah. It's Harry. Yeah. So if you wonder what Harry looks like, just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there is differences. Yeah. 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 Spot the difference. Yeah. We'll have a competition in a few weeks. <laughs> um, so you're going to be. Uh, you work currently for the for the faith mission. Faith mission, yeah. and they are. Well, their training centre is in... Well, they've got a Bible college in Edinburgh, which is where they, they train missionaries, if you like, or evangelists, things like that. And then they work all throughout Britain and Ireland, mainly in rural evangelism. So they work with churches. Some of them do independent gospel missions in villages or children's work. It really varies. But it's basically a rural evangelism, really, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So you're currently living... In uh, Gunness Lake... Yeah. Which is not how it's, how it's pronounced normally, but that's how I say it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who's meant to pronounce it, but... No, I think it's Gunnis Lake. Yeah, like all right, that. okay, all right, okay. Um, okay, so in a couple of weeks' time, you're going to be starting here with Harry, and you're going to be guiding Justin and Vic and others with some door knocking, and then we're trying to... That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we hope to help with the door-to-door. I think we'll be learning from each other, Harry and I on... On, uh, we're learning as well, so yeah. But and then hopefully do some events, gospel events, and yeah. yeah, try and share the gospel as effectively as we can with the lost yeah. around the church. So yeah. yeah, but you haven't been a Christian very long, though, have you? It's about six years. It's about six years, and so not that long, really. No. Yeah. 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 If you want to know a bit more about uh, Harry uh, before then, but that's not important now. Is where he is now. Mm. So, sorry, not George. Harry George, in fact. Right. Sorry about that. So uh, so that's. George, and over to him now, and I've got, oh, Chloe's at the back, I have got. I was thought I was going to be back. Right. Okay, thank you. So it's a, it's a privilege to be with you this morning and to, to share the Word of God, and so we're going to come to the Word of God now. If you have a Bible with you, we'll have our scripture reading, and we're going to be looking at Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and we will read from verse 15 down to verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 reading down to verse 20. So just five verses this morning. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Speaking about Jesus Christ. This is what the word of God says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Ending there. In verse 20. And just before we come to the word of God and and have that portion of scripture explained to us, we'll just have another word of prayer and ask for God's help. Let's just pray together. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is infallible, it is inerrant, and you've preserved it for us. And we thank you for it. And we pray now that as we hear from it, that you'd help me as I speak, and that you'd help us who listen, that you speak to each one of us this morning, and that you'll glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you wanted a title for our sermon this morning, then it could be, Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? There was a, a well-known Christian writer called A.W. Tozer. He was a preacher as well from the States. And he said this. He says, what you believe about God, that is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God, that is the most important thing about you. But we could say what you believe about Jesus Christ, that is the most important thing about you. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians at a time when the church there was being put in danger by a heresy, a false teaching. False teachers came into the church and they were teaching things that were wrong. And one of the uh, errors that they were teaching was that Christ was not enough for us to be saved. They tried to belittle the character of Christ. They tried to make him smaller than he really was. And Paul recognised this and Paul knew that in order for the church to be a healthy church... And, and in order for people to be saved, they need to have a proper view of who Jesus Christ is. Without a proper view of Christ, everything else goes out of the window. Christ must, we must know who he is in order to believe properly about anything else. And there's a, a well-known hymn by John Newton, who wrote, I think he wrote Amazing Grace. And he touches on this theme very well. And I'm going to allude to this hymn a few times throughout the, throughout the sermon. It's an old hymn. But it pictures what I'm going to say very, very well, really. And it says, what think ye of Christ is the test? What think ye of Christ is the test? To try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. As Jesus appears in your view, as he is beloved or not, so God is disposed to you and mercy or wrath are your lot. A right view of Christ is paramount for the eternal well-being of our souls. We need to have a right view of Jesus, otherwise everything else is wrong. And as we look at this portion, we see the Apostle Paul tells us exactly who Christ is. And this, this portion of scripture, verse 15 down to verse 20, when you read the, the books about it, a lot of scholars, or whatever you want to call them, they say that this looks like a hymn, it's very poetic, and they think that maybe the Apostle Paul used it, maybe he wrote it himself, or maybe it was a well-known hymn in the early church, and he used it here to, to tell them who Christ was. But whoever wrote the hymn, we know that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is authoritative, it's God's word. And so it can be split into two. The first part is from verse 15 down to verse 17, and that tells us that Jesus is Lord of creation. Jesus is Lord of creation. And then in the second part, verses 18 down to 20, we learn then that Jesus is Lord of salvation. Jesus is Lord of creation. Jesus is Lord of salvation. And in this hymn, we have have several truths about who Jesus Christ is. And this hymn in no way um, exhausts the character of Christ. We can hardly fathom who Jesus Christ is. But in in, in this portion of scripture, we have a few truths about him. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning just looking at who Christ is. So firstly then, we'll look at the first part, verse 15 to 17. And as I said, the title for this section could be Jesus 
is Lord of creation. And in this section, we have three truths about who Jesus Christ is. We see that he is the image of God. He is the firstborn over all creation. And he is the creator of everything. And so we'll look at those truths as they come in the passage as, 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 as we follow through. And so the first truth, Christ, the image of God. And we see this here in verse 15. If you look with me at verse 15, the word of God says, He is the image of the invisible God. Paul begins by telling the church of Colossae that Jesus Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Now the word that Paul uses there, the word image, is the same word that Jesus used in Mark 12. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, bring me a coin. And then they brought the coin and Jesus said, whose likeness is on the coin? And they said, it's Caesar's. And then he says, well, give to Caesar, that's what's Caesar's, and give to God, that which is God's. But the same word there for likeness, the same word used here, is image. And so when you look to the Roman coin, you saw that it had the, the likeness of Caesar, the image of Caesar. Paul here is saying, when you look at Jesus Christ, you see the image of God. You see the image of God. And that's why Jesus Christ could say to his disciples in John 14, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he said, didn't he? Hebrews 1 verse 3 describes Jesus like this. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And this is what Paul is saying to the Colossians. This, of course, shows that Jesus Christ is God. He is God. And he reveals God to us. The perfect representation of the invisible God. The Bible tells us God is spirit. But he's revealed himself to us through the person of his son. And the obvious application for this is if you want to know what God is like, well, read the Gospels and see what Jesus was like. If you want to know how God would respond to something, read the Gospels and see how Jesus responded. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. There's a a misconception today. People think, well, God the Father is an angry God, the God of the Old Testament, they say, and what Jesus is loving. But that's completely not true. Jesus Christ and God the Father, God the Son, God the Father, they're all the same. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. So the first truth that Paul gives about Jesus is that he is the image of the invisible God. And then the second truth we also find in verse 15. And the second truth about Jesus is that he is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Verse 15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And here Paul is reminding the Colossian church, That Jesus Christ has preeminence over everything. Everything that's been made, Jesus Christ is above it all. He has the preeminence. He has first in rank. Now the word firstborn there needs to be explained. Because if you've ever spoken to a Jehovah's Witness, they will use this verse to try and say that Jesus was created. They point at the word firstborn and they say, look, Jesus was the first to be created. And this verse has been used by... uh, Heretics all the way throughout, throughout, throughout the centuries. The first person, I mean, a bit of a history lesson, you don't really need it, but was called a man called Arius. And he created Arianism, which was the heresy, and that's what Jehovah's Witnesses follow today. So it's nothing new. But they use this verse, but this is not what the verse is teaching. And so the word firstborn there, yes, it can be used to speak about somebody who's born first. But it's often used in the Bible to speak about someone who has the first rank. They're the most important 
In Hebrew culture, when the firstborn, the first child was born, he was called the firstborn, and he had authority over the other siblings, if you like. He was going to receive the inheritance. He was going to be the heir. He was first in line over the household. And so throughout the Bible, you see the word firstborn used as the the one who was actually born first. But then it came to be used as a title. And sometimes it was used without even referring to birth. And we see this in Psalm 89 and verse 27. And I'll just read it. This is important because we need to explain what this word means. And so in, in Psalm 89 verse 27, it's speaking about King David. And this is what God says. It says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, of course, David was not the first king ever to be born, was he? But here God is saying, I will make him the firstborn. But then he explains what he means. The highest of all the kings of the earth. So the word firstborn can also mean the highest, the first in rank, the first in order, the most important, the preeminent. And of course, this is the way that Paul is using this word in this verse. And we can prove that very easily. And if you ever come across a Jehovah's Witness who tries to point to this verse, just tell them to keep reading. Because when you keep reading, you read that he created everything. All things were made by him. He was before all things. And everything was created for him and everything holds together through him. And so if he created everything, well then he cannot be created because he did not create himself. So just keep reading and you see that the word firstborn does not mean he was the first to be created. It means that he is the most important. The New King James translates this very well when it says he's the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn over all creation. Apostle Paul is speaking about his preeminence. His preeminence. The Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. Of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation, preeminent. The question is, as, uh, before we go any further, is, is he preeminent in our lives? Does he have his rightful place, his rightful honour as firstborn over all creation in our lives this morning? So, the next truth, that's the first, the first two truths, Christ, the image of God, the firstborn of all creation. The next truth that Paul gives to the Colossians is that Christ is the creator of everything. The creator of everything. Look at me there. Look with me there at verse 16. The word of God says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. In these verses, Paul continues to remind the Colossians that Jesus Christ is preeminent over everything by telling them that he is the creator of everything. Everything that's been made was created by Christ. And in these verses, Paul makes sure that they are without doubt that he means everything. He gives a, a, a complete list of, of everything that's been created. He says, in heaven and on earth. Paul here is speaking about the entire universe. In heaven, he's speaking about the, speaking about the heavens above the earth. In heaven, the stars, the planets, the galaxies. On earth, the trees, the birds, the human beings, every strand of DNA, every single cell in your body. Everything was created by Christ. And then he goes on 
And he says that Christ created everything material and everything spiritual. He says visible and invisible. The things we can see and the things we cannot see were created by Jesus Christ. He created the body and the soul. He goes even further and he says that Jesus created all the angels and all the spirit beings when he says whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here Paul is speaking about the entire angelic realm was created by Christ. And the reason why Paul emphasised this was because in the church of Colossae, the the false teachers were coming in, and we we see this in Colossians 2.18, and they were teaching angel worship. They were to worship the angels, and here Paul is saying that's just worthless, that's just stupid, because Jesus Christ created the angels. Worship him. Worship Christ alone. He alone is the one who is worthy of our worship. He is the one who is the all-sufficient saviour. He's created everything. And then Paul re-emphasizes this at the end of verse 16 when he says, All things were created through him and for him. In this verse, Paul says that everything was created by Christ and everything exists for his glory. They were created for Christ, for him. Everything exists to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. The question we must ask ourselves is, do we live in that way? Does our life Bring glory and honour to Jesus Christ. That's why you were created, dear friends. Maybe you've, you've looked out at the beautiful creation and thought, why am I here? If you're not a Christian, maybe you've thought, I used to think that before I became a Christian, why am I here? Well, the Bible says we were created for Christ. To live for him, to glorify him. And if you are living for anything less than that this morning, well then you're not fulfilling the purpose for why you were made. For Christ. For Christ alone. And then Paul finishes off, on this theme of Christ as the creator, in verse 17, with the words, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Firstly, he reminds the Colossians that Jesus Christ is eternal. He has always existed. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ has always been. That's why Jesus Christ could say to the Jews in John chapter 8, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. Jesus has always been. Before Abraham was even walking this planet, Jesus Christ always existed. And then he says, and by him, in him, all things hold together. And what that means is that Jesus Christ is the one who is holding this universe together. Who is holding everything together. It's him that's keeping everything going. It's him that we live and move and have our being. The reason we have breath in our lungs this morning, the reason why we can think, the reason why we can speak, is because Christ is holding everything together. That's why. The reason why we're still alive is because God is sustaining our lives through Christ. He holds everything together. That's what Paul is saying. And that's amazing. Christ is the one who holds everything together. And when we put that in context of history, this was the same man who became a human being, the same God who became a a man and died upon the cross for sin. And yet he was one who holds everything together. I remember listening to Leonard Ravenhill once preach and he was speaking about how the, the, the Roman soldiers and the, and, and the Jews mistreated Jesus before he was crucified. And he said they, they spat on him and they plucked his beard out of his face and things like that. And what Leonard Ravenel says is, it's on this theme, he says he could have breathed on them and shrunk them like a fly. He could have, he could have annihilated them in an instant. But yet he didn't, of course, because he died for our sin. He wanted to save us. But this just reminds us the power of Christ. 
and yet the humility that he became a man and died for us. Jesus is Lord of creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He created everything for his glory and it's in him everything holds together. And that means that he created you, he is one keeping you alive. And the question comes again, are we giving him the honour and the glory that he deserves in our lives? Are we living lives of obedience to him? Are we living for him? As Christians, our lives should be consumed with Jesus. We should be able to say with the hymn writer, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. All my beings, ransom powers. All my thoughts and words and doings. All my days and all my hours. Let my hands perform his bidding. Let my feet run in his ways. Let my eyes see Jesus only. Let my lips speak forth his praise. That should be our cry this morning as believers. When we look at who Jesus Christ is, the God Almighty, the Lord of creation, and yet he saved our souls when we deserved hell. We should be living for Jesus every second of the day. Jesus should not be just one of many interests. Oh, we'll give him Wednesday, we'll give him Sunday. We should give every day, every moment even to Christ. And if you're not a believer this morning, the question is, will you believe on him? Will you give your life to him? Will you repent and turn to Christ who died to save you on the cross? In Jesus Christ, there's everything you need. If you have Christ, you have everything. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. Nothing worth having. Jesus is Lord of creation. In the second part of the hymn, verse 18 to verse 20, we see that Paul tells the Colossians that Jesus is Lord of salvation. He's Lord of salvation. And this is the second part. And in this section we have, we have, we have four more truths about Christ. We see that he is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, and the fullness of God, and also the reconciler of all things. And we'll go through these a little bit quicker, um, God willing. And so the first truth in this section, the fourth overall, is that Christ is the head of the church. Paul says there in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. And here Paul is reminding the Colossian believers that the same one who is the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, he is also the head of the church. And by this Paul means that Jesus Christ is the one who controls the church. He is the one who gives life to the church. Now, of course, by church, the Apostle Paul does not mean this building or any other building on this planet. He's speaking about the people, those who are born again by God's Spirit and are trusting in Christ. They're part of the body of Christ by faith. And Paul is saying that Jesus is the head. He's the one who gives life to the church. He uses the same picture Jesus does in John 15 when he says, I am the true vine. And he says to his disciples, you are the branches. Christ is the one who gives life to the church. In Christ, we have everything Apart from Christ, we have nothing. And the, ob- the obvious application here is, Jesus Christ, the, for, the, for, for the health of any church, Jesus Christ must be in the centre of everything. Jesus Christ must be preached. Jesus Christ must be obeyed. Jesus Christ must be loved. Jesus Christ must be proclaimed to the neighbours. Jesus Christ must be put on display in our lives. He is to be at the centre of every activity in the church. If there's an activity without Christ at the centre, then we have to question whether it's, 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 it's valuable. Jesus Christ should be the centre of everything. He is the head of the church. The fifth truth that, that Paul gives is that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. Paul says there in verse 18, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be 
preeminent. Here in verse 18, Paul reminds the Colossians about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when Paul says beginning, he explains what he means by this. He says Christ is the beginning, and then he says the firstborn from the dead. And what Paul means by this is that Jesus Christ was the first to be resurrected. He was the first one who was resurrected and he started the new creation. It's because of him and his resurrection that we as believers look forward to the resurrection. It's because of Christ's resurrection, his being raised from the dead, that as believers we have a guarantee that we will be resurrected on the day of resurrection. We too will receive a glorified body because Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And what that means is we have a guarantee. Maybe your body's riddled with arthritis now, but if you're a believer in Christ, one day you have a glorified body. And you're guaranteed it because Christ is risen. Maybe, maybe you have a, a loved one who's suffering from cancer. Well, if they believe in Christ, one day they're going to have a new body, a glorified body, a resurrected body. Maybe you have a loved one who passed away in pain and suffering. So weak body, so, so broken down. Well, one day they're going to have a glorified body. Better than anybody on this planet. And we know it. We can be sure of it. Because Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And because he is resurrected, we too who believe in Christ will be resurrected unto life. Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yet shall he live. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Then Paul goes on to say why all of this took place. is so that in him, so that in everything he might be preeminent. And that's the theme of this this portion of scripture, Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is first. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Both in creation and in salvation, he is the preeminent one. Paul goes on and he says, Christ is the fullness of God. And this is the sixth truth. In verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Here Paul gives a powerful declaration of the deity of Christ. He is saying that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. God became a man. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Grace is a mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 There's that hymn, and I can't remember what the word's word for word, but it says how God Almighty was contracted to a span. That's what took place when Jesus Christ was, was made a human being in the incarnation. And this means that he is the all-sufficient saviour. Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient saviour, the divine son of God. And Paul is telling the Colossian church, look, you don't need to trust in anyone or anything apart from Christ. God was pleased for the fullness of deity to dwell in him. What this means is, as I've already highlighted, the man who hung upon the cross 2,000 years ago thereabouts, he was God manifest in the flesh. The Bible says he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. God became a man and died for sin. And now this is important because the Saviour, it's important for the gospel, because the Saviour had to be fully man. Because only a human being could die and save other human beings. No other creature could die to save us. Lambs in the Old Testament, they were a shadow, but they were never enough. A human being had to die for other human beings. And also the saviour had to be God because only a divine saviour could take the wrath of almighty God and survive. God, the saviour had to be fully man and fully God. 
And that's why Christ came, the divine saviour. God manifest in the flesh. And now that hymn that I mentioned at the beginning, it highlights this theme in one of the other verses. And it says this, Some take him a creature to be, a man or an angel at most. Sure, these have not feelings like me, nor know themselves wretched and lost. So guilty, so helpless am I. I dare not confide in his blood, nor on his protection rely, unless I were sure he is God. If Jesus Christ was not God, he can't help you. He can't help you, can't save you. But he was God. The fullness of deity dwelled in him. And so you can trust him, you can rely upon him, you can commit your soul into his hands. And this brings us to the final truth that Paul touches upon here. Christ, the reconciler of all things. And we read this in verse 20. Paul says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In the final verse of this hymn, Paul speaks about the work of Christ. What was it that Jesus came to do? And he says that God, through Christ, worked through Christ to reconcile everything to himself. The word reconcile basically means to to take away the hostility. The word reconcile means to make enemies friends again. If you fall out with someone and you're not talking, if somebody reconciles you, then you'll be on talking terms again. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to take away the enmity between us and God. He came to make peace by the blood of his cross. Paul here reminds the Colossian church that all creation will one day be restored. Will one day be restored to perfection. All creation was affected by the fall. That's why we see all this suffering in our world. But one day it will all be brought back. The new heavens and the new earth will be reconciled back to God. Of course this verse is not teaching universal salvation. This verse is not saying that every single person will be saved. The Bible is very clear that it's only those who repent, turn from their sin and believe in Jesus Christ. It's only those who will be forgiven, saved from their sin and will go to heaven when they die. The Bible is clear that there is a hell. And sadly, many people will go there. The Bible is unanimous on that. It makes it so clear. Jesus taught it so, so clearly, so vividly. But God in his grace has made a way for people to be reconciled. And that's what's amazing. And we're told here that he did it through, through Christ, through the blood of his cross. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he died to pay for sin. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin upon himself. The Old Testament, well it's quoted in Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, I think it's Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. Sin must be paid for. Either we can pay it ourselves, which is hell, or God sent Christ to pay it for us, and that's what the cross was all about. The Bible says those of us who believe in Christ, we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He's paid our fine in full. The price is paid. Hallelujah, as the hymn says. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he shed his blood, to pay for our sin, to die in our place. Paul here is reminding the Colossian church that it's only through Christ that people can be saved. He alone shed his blood to save people from sin. The false teachers were coming into the Colossian church and they were saying, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep Old Testament laws and all of these things. They were saying, you need some special kind of knowledge as well as Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul here was saying, you don't need anything but Jesus. All you need is Jesus Christ. Christ is the all-sufficient Saviour. And the question is, do you have Christ this morning? If you're relying upon your good works, if you're relying upon the good things that you can do to get you to heaven, well then, friends, you do not have Christ this morning. You're trusting in yourself. But if your answer is, why would God let you into heaven? Because Christ is my Saviour. Just as I am without one plea, but that you have shed your blood for me, and that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's what it means to have Christ. You're trusting in Jesus Christ alone to pay for your sin and make you right with God. Which one describes you this morning? We need Christ as our Saviour. And so just to conclude, we started with the title, Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Well, Paul tells us, and he by no means exhausts the character of Christ, but he says Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation and the Lord of salvation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the creator of all things. He is, the, he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the preeminent one, the fullness of God, the reconciler of all things. In a sentence, he is the all-sufficient saviour. If you are a believer this morning, the question is, and I've posed it already, is he the most important person in your life? Are you living for Jesus Christ? Is he number one? And of course, the way we, we know if he is, when we look at our lives, how much time do we give to Jesus? How much time are we, in, are we in his word? How much time do we give to serving him and living for him and loving him? How much time do we spend in his presence in prayer? That's how we see if we're living for Christ. And if you're not a believer this morning, will you turn to him? Will you be saved? The Bible's clear, only through Jesus Christ can we be made right with God. The good news is he is the all-sufficient saviour and he can save you. The Bible says he can save to the uttermost all those who come unto God by him. And if you turn to Jesus this morning, turn from your sin and believe in him for yourself as your Lord and saviour, God will save you. He will forgive you and he will reconcile you back to himself. And I'll just finish with a, a verse of that hymn, the final verse of John Newton's hymn. And this should be our response in light of who Jesus Christ is. This should be our response. It says this. If asked what of Jesus I think, although my best thoughts are but poor, I say he is my meat and my drink, my life and my strength and my store, my shepherd, my husband, my friend, my saviour from sin and from thrall, my hope from beginning to end, my portion, my Lord and my all. That should be our response this morning to the Lord Jesus. I'll just pray and then I'll hand back over to Kevin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the all-sufficient Saviour. We pray, Lord, for those of us who know him, please help us, Lord, by your grace to live for him more and more, to love him with all of our hearts, mind, soul and strength. And Father, for any here who do not yet know him, we ask, Father, that even today, by your grace, they'll put their trust in him, and be saved. We thank you for Jesus, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.